Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Once upon a time. Later. I wish. Welcome to another episode of Broadway Nation, the podcast that tells the remarkable story of how immigrants, Jews, queers, African Americans, and other outcasts invented the Broadway musical and how they changed America in the process. I'm David Armstrong, and I call this episode Children Will Listen, Part 2. I miss my kingdom up in the sky. I wish we had more On this episode, I continue my conversation with author Stacey Wolf about her most recent book, which is titled Beyond Broadway, The Pleasure and Promise of Musical Theater Across America, and in which she relates her cross-country journey from Maine to California, during which she visited grade schools, middle schools, high schools, summer camps, festivals, and community theaters in cities and towns both large and very small, and along the way discovered that the Broadway musical is alive and thriving. Beyond Broadway also explores the relationship between the worlds of amateur and professional musical theater and why that interaction is so crucial to the health and future of the Broadway musical. If you missed part one, you may want to go back and listen to that episode before you continue with this one. Here we go. So let's talk about high school now. You went to a number of high schools in the Midwest and other places where the musical was a major event. Yes. I decided to focus on Into the Woods for this chapter because a lot of schools do Into the Woods, which might surprise you because it's a very difficult show. It's really hard. It's hard emotionally. The music is so difficult. And what I realized from seeing many rehearsals and many productions of Into the Woods is that the beginning of the show is kind of cruel to kids because they have to sing alone in counterpoint. I wish the king is giving a festival more than life. I wish I wish to go to that festival more than riches. I wish my cow would give us some milk more than anything. I wish we had a Please, please, I wish it's a very difficult beginning and yet all of these schools i visited big public schools small private schools small public schools in different parts of the country they were doing into the woods the schools that i ended up focusing on in this chapter were in rural ohio and rural minnesota and then in suburban michigan 
it was fascinating to see the differences and the similarities between a big public school that was already known for its musical theater program versus a tiny little school in rural Ohio that actually had to combine middle school and high school to get enough kids to be in the show. A third of the kids in the school did participate in the show, whether they were in it or participated in the band, because the school also had a very strong music program. In all of these places, they made do, which surprised me. At one of the schools I visited in Minnesota, they had a lot of very artistic students and the director also had incredible building skills. And so the set was gorgeous and elaborate and they made the tree from paper mache and it was really beautiful and all kinds of things rotated. And when I visited the school in Ohio, it was just very simple. And they had a lot of the younger kids in the class playing trees. So they had costumes and they were standing and playing trees. And so they actually became the woods. At those two schools, they did not have auditoriums or theaters in the schools. So they performed in a civic theater in the town. And it was a huge event for the entire town. So this one theater, which was like a theater from the 1920s in downtown Wilmington, Ohio, had the marquee up. It was packed to the gills. I think the theater sat something like 800 or 1,000 people. The men who were working the follow spot were men who had gone to the same high school and performed in their musical when they were kids. And everyone was there, not only all the parents and relatives and every one of the kids who were involved with the show, but everyone in the community came out for this big, huge event. It was remarkable to see how important it was in the community. I found the chapter on high school musicals in Stacy's book to be especially engaging because early on in my tenure at the Fifth Avenue Theater in Seattle, way back in 2002, we initiated a statewide high school musical theater awards program. This was one of the earliest in the country, following in the footsteps of Pittsburgh CLO and the Paper Mill Playhouse in New Jersey, who had pioneered these kinds of programs, which ultimately led to the creation of the Jimmy Awards, a national program honoring high school musical theater that Stacy also writes about in Beyond Broadway. Pre-pandemic, the Fifth Avenue Awards would typically have more than 100 high schools from every part of Washington State participate, and I was always most impressed by the schools that, even though they had very limited budgets and resources, still produced fantastic productions that had a huge impact on the students and the community. And Stacy found that that was true of the schools that she visited as well. They do, and they depend on the creativity and the dedication of the teachers who are determined to make this happen. When I asked the teachers at the schools I visited why they were doing Into the Woods, they all said, we think the kids are up to it. One of the teachers I talked to at one point, he had a very wry sense of humor, said, I did not know how much music was in this play. I think a lot of people (laughs) don't know how much music there is Into the Woods. It's very long and it's a lot of music. But the teachers are just determined to do it. And the kids grow so much from the experience. And unlike the junior version, these kids are doing the second act. Oh, yes, they are doing the second act. And you quoted a kid about their experience of the second act, what they thought the show was about. That's right. I spent some time with all of these kids asking them what they thought the show was about. And this is something else I found really remarkable that these young people And I think musical theater does this in addition to all the other things we've been talking about. It teaches interpretation. 
they have to know what they're saying and what they're singing and what it means and what it matters. And all of the kids had ideas about what the second act meant and what the giant was and what the giant represented. Wait until my mother hears I've slain the giant. Jack, your mother is dead. Was she killed by the giant? She was arguing with the giant, trying to protect you. And she was struck by the steward's deadly blow. The steward will pay for this after we slay the giant. I will slay him. You will do nothing of the kind. But he shouldn't have killed my mother, right? I guess not. Then he must die. No. Why not? That would be wrong. What he did was wrong. He should be punished. And he will be somehow. How? I don't know. Stop asking me questions I can't answer. I'm going to kill him. Then kill him. No. No, don't kill him. Father isn't here now. Things bright, things. Who knows what she'd say? And all of them saw a connection between the giant and something that was happening in their community. Whether it was poverty or divisions in the community over immigration and changing demographics, or struggles for the theater kids to fit into the rest of the school if they were self-named theater geeks. They all understood the metaphor of the giant as having something to do with themselves and their lives the need for people to come together, the need to stand up for themselves, the need to go after what they want, the need to work together, the need to vanquish the evil power. And it helped me to understand how they could take this show that in some ways was so distant from their lives and make it relevant to their lives. Witches can be right, giants can be good, but you decide what's right. You decide what's good. Just remember. Just remember. Someone is on your side. Our side. Someone else is not. While they're seeing our side, our side, maybe we forgot. They are not alone. No one. So let's move to the adults. Your book is not just about kids doing theater. It's also about amateur adults. Why don't we talk about outdoor summer theaters? You talked about the mountain play. I've always been an outdoor drama fan, The Lost Colony and things like that. When I was a kid, that was something I was very drawn to want to experience those giant outdoor pageants. Yes, the outdoor pageants are very cool. And outdoor musicals mostly end up being pageants, whether or not they plan on them. <laughs> Just because the relationship between the humans and the space, the humans and the trees, the humans and the air, it has to become majestic and somehow it feels larger than what happens in a normal theater. So the mountain play was so remarkable that I decided I actually had to build a chapter around the mountain play. So that got me off to exploring other places that do outdoor musicals, aside from The Lost Colony or other kind of historical dramas or, or that kind of stuff. Broadway musicals, traditional yes, Broadway yes, musicals. Exactly. So other places that do Broadway musicals. And one of the places that I found, much to my embarrassment, was 
the Zilker Summer Musical in Austin, Texas, where I had lived for nine years and somehow never even knew that it was there. That probably illustrates sometimes the division between a university and a community, but that's a different topic. So the Zilker Summer Musical was created in the 1930s and is in a park, a public park in Austin. It is performed in somewhat of a natural amphitheater. It's a hill, and then there's a theater at the bottom, but the theater is built and has recently been renovated, and it's actually a really nice kind of cement pad. And then behind it is Barton Springs Pool, which is the most famous place in Austin, this unbelievably cool spring-fed pool. The thing that is amazing about the Zilker Summer Musical is that it's free. People go a few hours in advance, they put down their blankets, they go swimming, they go to the snack bar, they bring their dinner, and it's in the summer, so it's unbelievably hot, and then the lights go down eventually, and it gets dark and at 9 o'clock, and the show starts. the changes through all of the years that this theater has gone through with different administrations, different producers, different funders. And it's obviously always a struggle because they don't know how much money they're going to bring in. They bring in money by passing the bucket. So one of the productions that I saw of The Sound of Music, I think they made thousands and thousands of dollars a night because there were so many people there and the show was fantastic and people who could afford it would put in a $20 bill, a $50 bill, a $100 bill. You need not put in any money at all. And it is part of Austin's identity that this show happens for free. And I met many people who were in the audience who love musical theater, who go to musical theater all the time, who go to all the professional theaters in town, people who go to New York or Dallas or Houston and see theater. And I met just as many people who never go to the theater aside from this particular experience. I write in the book about one woman I met who was there with her three little girls and she had brought them to see every single night of the show. And by the time I met her, they knew all the songs by heart. She kept saying that the littlest girl thought that the kids were a real family, but this was an opportunity to introduce these kids to theater. And I just love that about this particular theater. The actors are a combination of professional actors and amateurs, but the way that it welcomes everyone in the community is extraordinary. Go away. Broadway Nation will be back right after this short break. (laughs) 
Hi, this is David Armstrong, and it's my great pleasure to welcome Factor as a sponsor to Broadway Nation this week. This spring, you can eat stress-free with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready-to-eat in just two minutes. You can choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or my personal choice, Vegan and Veggie. You can also discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunches, snacks, and beverages that'll help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get chef-prepared meals on the table in two minutes with Factor's ready-to-eat meals so you can get back to doing what you love this spring. If you're looking for gourmet meals, try meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, truffle butter, broccolini, and asparagus. These are no-fuss, no-muss meals, and Factor meals eliminate the hassle of prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. You simply heat and savor the good stuff. And you can tailor it all to your schedule. You can customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. And you can pause or reschedule the deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Factor is your solution for fast, premium meals without the need for cooking. And we're celebrating Earth Day all month long at Factor, so look out for the Earth Month Eats badge on the menu for the lowest carbon footprint meals. Here's what you do. Head to factormeals.com bn50 and use code bn50 to get 50% off your first box and 20% off your next box. That's code bn50, as in Broadway Nation, bn50. 50 at factormeals.com slash bn50 to get 50% off your first box and 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Do it now. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Beyond Broadway includes a chapter about community theater, and as part of it, Stacy provides a short history of the development of community theater in America, which reads in part, While there were amateur theatricals during colonial and revolutionary war times in the United States, an identifiable community theater movement was not underway until the late 1800s. The Footlight Club in the Jamaica Plain neighborhood of Boston is the oldest continuing operating community theater in the United States, founded in 1877, even before the label came into usage. Playwright, director, and activist Louise Burley coined the term community theater in 1917. Burley and other advocates saw community theater as a unique opportunity for the masses to be civically engaged through active participation in art. From the start, musical theatrical entertainments were a stable of the community theater repertoire, and by the 1950s, soon after a musical opened on Broadway, producers formed a touring company and then released amateur rights for community groups. 
the production of Broadway musicals directed, choreographed, and performed by your neighbors increased the national visibility and interest in musical theater. Today, every state is host to numerous community theaters that together produce thousands of musicals a year, from South Pacific to Rent. As of 2014, the American Association of Community Theaters represented more than 7,000 community theaters across America that produced over 46,000 productions every year, entertain an audience of 86 million, and rely on a combined budget of over $980 million. However, to study community theaters, Stacy didn't have to look any further than her own hometown in central New Jersey. The thing about community theater is that you really could study a community theater in any town in the country, and you would find the unique dynamics of that place. You would find the pressure or preferences of the artistic director or the group of people who are in charge. You would find some clicks. You would find some power struggles. You would find all kinds of things. And I decided to stick close to home because I knew that I actually could write about any community theater anywhere. And I was curious about the community theater that was around the corner for me, which turns out to be quite an unusual place. It's a theater that's on the campus of our local community college. And it operates through a consortium of 12 different theater companies. So every theater company does two shows a year, and then the college does a few shows. There are some children's companies that do a few shows. So this theater is occupied 50 of the 52 weekends of the year. It is a constant turnover of shows. So you do your show for two weekends, and after your second Sunday matinee, you strike the set, you get out of there. By Sunday night, the next show is loading in. I met so many people who are working on these shows, and learned a lot about how our ideas in our culture of the separation between work and leisure become entirely broken down when you think about community theater because people are working, but it's not the job they're being paid for. They take what they're doing incredibly seriously, sometimes more seriously than they take their day job, but they're doing it for fun or as a hobby. I think community theater is a place that compels us to rethink how we understand labor and leisure and money and creativity and art making in this country. And it definitely did that for me. I grew up in community theater. I was often the kid in a community theater production that needed kids. And then as a teenager and in college, I was still involved in some community theater. You've been in every chapter of my book too. I have really lived every chapter of your book at some point <laughs> in my life. But there were people who were involved in those community theaters, some of which were as brilliant as performers as any professional I've ever worked with. They just, for whatever reason, were not going to be a professional. And then there were people who were just so dedicated and driven to do it, but probably had made the right choice to do that as a hobby and not as a profession. Absolutely. I met a lot of people who were young people who were possibly on their way up to a professional career, other people who were on their way down who maybe had tried to be a professional theater artist and then decided not to or couldn't or didn't. And then most of the people were there to stay. And when I visited these theaters and watched many rehearsals and auditions and went to a lot of meetings, one of the guys I interviewed said that community theater has bees and butterflies. And the bees are the people who stick around year after year, who make the theater run, who do all the work. And then the butterflies are the people who fly in and do one show and fly away. 
I absolutely love that analogy and thought it was perfect because I could very quickly identify the people who were doing show after show. And interestingly, a lot of the people who do show after show switch roles. So sometimes they'll direct, sometimes they'll design lights, sometimes they'll stage manage, sometimes they'll perform. They'll do a lot of different things. And then the other people will say, oh, I really want to be in Evita and they're doing Evita and I'm going to audition and now I get to play Evita and you'll never see me again. And they're both fine. Both types of people are really important parts of the community theater ecosystem, as well as the children and the adults. I was so amazed to see people of all different ages working on community theater shows. And it made me realize that there are very few places in our culture church and synagogue might be one of the only others besides community theater where you see people of all ages and all generations working together on a project and i found that really moving absolutely here's a quote from your book you say although i spent much of my own childhood and youth performing in local musicals i'd forgotten why they mattered so what was it that you discovered why do they matter what about this is important they matter on an individual level in terms of expressiveness, creativity, feeling a part of something, the pleasure of singing and dancing, the pleasure of shows in the musical theater repertoire. They matter in terms of a group of people coming together to make something that a musical starts with words on a page and notes in a score and people come together and they create this four-dimensional experience for other people, the amazingness of live theater. And they matter because they make a statement about their community, whether it's the pride of Austin having this free musical every year, or the importance of these girls who go to Jewish summer camps, or the kids who are in the production of Into the Woods that somehow manages to get pulled off in this tiny little school in rural Ohio. So I think on so many levels, they matter. And they also matter to sustain professional theater and to the Broadway musical and the larger ecosystem of musical theater and the circulation of musical theater in this country. And building the audience for the future. Yes. Oh my gosh, of course. And I think the growing of the audience is true with children and adults. With children, yeah. the earlier you get them, often participation in musical theater is the gateway drug to becoming a spectator later in life, because obviously very few young people who do musicals will become professional artists, but they will become audiences. They will become fans. And anyone who does a musical as an adult is or will be an audience member in the future. I remember seeing some research that said that if a person does not experience musical theater when they're a kid, it will be almost impossible to get them to come to a musical later in life. If That's it's not why. part of their experience growing up, you just never think to do it. That is fascinating. And from my experience in researching this book, I would say that's entirely true. That's why Disney and the licensors are investing so much money. Something I'm very interested in is what is the effect of these stories on the communities? How does the subject matter of musicals affect these communities that are experiencing the shows or producing the shows or working on these shows? That's a great question. I think that when a community that is an elementary, middle, high school, summer camp, community theater selects a show, the story of that show and the characters in that show become a part of the community. So the way these kids at these high schools all thought Into the Woods was about them. 
and the story and what they learn from experiencing it becomes integrated in the community. The more challenging question in a lot of places really is the question of race, you know, racial diversity and the overall whiteness of the musical theater repertoire and the musical theater canon. And I think that more and more community theaters especially are thinking about the diversity of their constituency, thinking about who comes to see their shows, thinking about who's in their shows, thinking about the stories that they're telling. And I think there's more of an investment, and I think there will be more of an investment going forward to tell stories of different communities, to look harder for shows that are from non-white communities and about not white people, which is challenging if you look at the conventional repertoire, but hopefully will be coming less so. I think the challenge for all amateur theaters is to refuse the, well, we can't cast that mantra. That cannot fly. That absolutely cannot fly. And fortunately, at the community theater I studied, that was not what they were claiming. They were finding ways, looking harder, welcoming more people, going out to new areas to find a range of people to participate in shows. When they did In the Heights, it was so enormously important because it attracted actors and dancers and singers from a much larger area than they typically do. It brought in entirely new audiences and it helped a community theater that had been predominantly white start to possibly begin to be a larger and more inclusive community. Stacey, this has been fascinating. I thoroughly enjoyed reading this book. This is only one of your many books. So I look forward to what you have in the works for the future. Thank you so much, David. I love this conversation and so appreciate being on your wonderful show. Thank you. Yeah, I'm a street light chilling in the heat. I illuminate the stories of the people in the street. Some have happy endings, some are bittersweet. But I love them all and that's what makes my life complete. And it's not me who keeps our legacies. Broadway Nation is written and produced by me, David Armstrong. If you enjoyed this podcast, I invite you to join our Broadway Nation Facebook group, where you can find a large and lively community of Broadway aficionados. We have a lot of fun, and I feel certain that you will as well. You can also follow Broadway Nation on Twitter and Instagram. Special thanks to KVSH 101.9, the voice of beautiful Vashon Island, Washington, and to the entire team at the Broadway Podcast Network.
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.